Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Theo Fleury. I was going to talk about your hockey career. I was going to talk about your book career, but then after interview after interview, I researched and read about you and listened. There's three underlying themes that I want to talk to you about today. And I think you kind of know what they're going to be, but I'm going to tell you right now, mental health, Mm -hmm. addiction, and trauma. These are three things that have been underlying issues that you've talked about openly that you help people. You're an advocate for you help people one-on-one with. Uh, So my first question is, what is mental health to you? Oh boy. Well, I think you, you hit on the three key elements of, you know, what we face in society uh, today. And uh, you may or may not know this, but um, COVID is the most traumatic thing that's happened since World War II, okay? And, you know, it's caused, you know, a lot of uh, people who have sort of buried issues from their past, you know, um, and, you know, stat that is just mind-boggling to me is that there have been more opioid deaths and more suicides than there actually have been COVID deaths. Okay. And, you know, trauma, mental health, and addiction all live in the same house. They are not separate. Okay. And in my experience, uh, a lot of the mental health issues that I deal with have been caused by a very traumatic childhood and uh, adolescent experience. And when you uh, when you as a child um, get super super scared or traumatized, you know it leaves an imprint in your, nervous system kind of throws everything off. Okay. And, you know, there's lots of chemicals involved in that, you know, in the mental health space, nobody talks about cortisol. Nobody talks about dopamine, serotonin, you know, all these things. And, and so, what we need to do is we, we, we need to rewire those traumatic experiences that happened in our childhoods, which then allow us to sort of deal, you know, with the mental health issues. And, you know, mental health is silent. We can't see it, right? Can't see it. And most people, you know, suck it up. Right. And they don't talk about it. And, um, you know, trauma leaves us in emotional pain and suffering. 
Okay. And that emotional pain and suffering is what I call mental health, mental illness, you know, whatever you call it. And so how do we deal with this pain that's left behind? Well, we're going to gravitate towards the dark side of life and get involved in some sort of coping mechanism, which they call addiction. Okay. And, uh, you know, I hate the word addiction because it has so much shame attached to it, you know, and the, the common sort of sentence that's always used is why don't you just stop? Well, I wish I could, I wish it was that easy, but I have all this emotional pain and this addiction piece is allowing me to suppress the emotional pain that I feel on a daily basis. And so basically what addiction is, is it's emotional pain management is what it is. Okay. And we are, we are numbing out from our emotional pain because we haven't created a safe space in society for people to talk about their emotional pain or their experience of what happened to them, which brought them into this space. Does that make sense? It does. And that's, I'm like, you've just basically blew, blown open every single one of my questions I was about to ask you. So I'm glad <laughs> that you did. So let's, let's, let's digest basically what you just said. Let's start off with COVID-19. Like you said, there is an epidemic, not with COVID-19. It's an epidemic of mental health issues that are going on in individual households, not here, not just here in Calgary, but across Canada and around the world. How, how yet again, our governments are locking us in, not here in Canada, but also down the States. Yet again, we have one president who wants to reopen, yeah. keep it open. We have one per, president, president elect who wants to potentially close us in again. How can we help people who are going through the struggle of mental health during this mm-hmm. quote unquote pandemic? Well, it, it, <clears throat> herein lies the, you know, the sort of the million dollar question is, you know, how do we get people to express their negative feelings, right? Because when we internalize everything, uh, in my experience is you cannot overcome this on your own. Okay. And you cannot outthink mental illness, right? You can't outthink it. And so, uh, you know, it's the reason why I wrote my second book was because I discovered that through relationship and conversation, uh, with a neuroscientist that's I wrote this book with a neuro- neuroscientist and what she told me was she could rewire my brain rewire my trauma through conversation and relationship okay and uh, for people who are going to listen to this podcast google attachment theory okay so for those who don't have Google right now, like myself, what right. is attachment theory in a short paragraph or two? 
Well, I didn't have a secure attachment figure as a kid because my mom struggled with severe mental illness herself. And so she, she never, she was dealing with her own stuff and, you know, she couldn't deal, she couldn't give me what I needed. Right. And so that caused uh, basically the, the right side of my brain uh, to not be able to develop early on in, in, you know, my childhood. And so um, I became anxious, fearful, um, because there wasn't anybody there to sort of put uh, their brain inside of my brain to help me sort of develop uh, relationship skills. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I grew up in chaos. Right. And anybody who watched me play hockey, what happened every time I stepped on the ice chaos, because I created it. And that's where I felt safe was in chaos. Right. And so, you know, not having any awareness to the fact that, you know, not only was I addicted to all these uh, chemicals and booze and drugs and food and sex and alcohol, I was also addicted to chaos and drama as well. And, you know, that obviously caused me lots of problems in, you know, relationships. And, you know, when I was able to sort of put all of this on paper and take a look at it, which I'd never done before, um, you know, I realized there was certain tendencies that I had that not only caused myself harm, but caused the people around me, you know, a lot of, you know, um, distress as well. And, and when I finally got sober and took away some of those coping mechanisms, it really sort of uh, opened a space where I could look at, you know, these things that I was still at whatever, I think I was 40 years old, that I could really start to take a look at this stuff and, and start to repair you know, the wreckage of my past. Because when my sexual abuse was finished and over with, I took over the abuse and I abused myself, right? But there was four things that uh, were pretty apparent of what I believed about myself and, or what trauma taught me right? What trauma taught me, which sort of left the imprint that uh, I always felt abandoned and neglected. Uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. And, you know, the fourth one, you know, we have a major opioid epidemic on the planet and these people sort of fall into this category is, do I even exist in the world? 
right? Yeah. And those people gravitate towards the opioids because it gives them the feeling of connection. Okay. And uh, when we're in a secure, healthy, amazing relationship, we produce this chemical in our body called oxytocin, which is the drug of love and connection. And so the pharmaceutical companies knew that there was a whole bunch of fucked up people who didn't have uh, that relationship base. And so they created a, a drug called Oxycontin. Oxycontin, oxytocin. Sound familiar? Yeah. And when you look at these two uh, things under a microscope, Oxycontin and Oxytocin, they're exactly the same. But Oxycontin has one little extra arm on it, which makes us addicted. Okay. And when I work with heroin addicts, you know, pill addicts, whatever, I say to them, you know, why do you, why do you love this drug? And they go, well, I, I get the warm and fuzzies. So they've emulated, the drug companies have emulated relationship with a pill or a benzo, you know, whatever you want to call it. And so that's why people are so addicted to it is because it gives them that sense of, or that feeling of, you know, being in a, uh, a relationship. Well, and I think addictions just doesn't go into a pill form either, right? It goes no. into the form of uh, food. It goes into the form of sex. Like yeah. you said, it goes in the form of chaos even. So yeah. you're always striving to get that, that feeling of release of happiness of this is my good spot. Yeah. So without, because I, I'm, I, I've gone through uh, an addiction of medical substances yeah. and yeah. alcohol and I've mm -hmm. come out the other side. It's a struggle every day, right? It's a struggle. Yeah. And I, you go through it every day as well. It's a struggle to actually cope sometimes with things that are going on in the world or even in your life or even the smallest little tidbit. Yeah. So how do we, how do addicts, and I use this term loosely, how do addicts cope with the day-to-day -day reality that we live in of everything? And I apologize to say this, everything's a fucked up world that we live in right now yeah. because everything's just gone to hell in a handbasket. So oh. how do addicts properly cope in today's society? Well, do what we're doing right now, having a conversation, right? Um, you know, the, the, the one word that I had no idea meant as much as it meant. And it's been the key to sort of my comeback in life. And that's the word vulnerability. Okay. Because when we're vulnerable, that vulnerability creates safety. And then when you have safety, that's when the magic of healing happens is when we feel safe. And in society, there is not that safe space. And, you know, as an advocate and as an activist, that's what we fight every day is stigma. Right. And, 
And the only way through the problem is, you know, because here's a perfect example. When you see somebody and you say, Hey man, how you doing? I'm fine. First thing I'm thinking, he's not actually fine. Yeah, exactly. So what are you actually? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you irritated? Right? That's the, that's the next le- layer, right? Because I'm fine means I'm freaking out. And I don't feel safe and I can deflect what I'm feeling by saying I'm fine or I'm well, good or I'm good. Right. I, feel, or I'm, I or I'm good. feel like you're reading into what I said because when we started, like literally as we opened up the conversation, I said, Oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. It's you yeah. said it was snowing out and yeah. I'm literally listening to you and going, Holy shit. He read me. He fucking read me and he doesn't even know who the hell I am. So he knows I said, I'm fine. And yet there are things going on in my life right now that I'm fucking dealing with. And I'm fine means, wow. I didn't even think about that. So that tells me Mm -hmm. that there's a lot more people out there who are suffering that I don't realize. Yeah. The, the whole world is suffering. The whole world is suffering. Like, you know, this, this thing is full every day of people reaching out. I can't, I can't function. I can't deal with this. I'm isolated. You know, I'm going to, uh, I can't make my payments anymore. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Right. You know, and then, and then that stuff starts to layer in your nervous system, right. All that fear and all that stuff. Right. And so, um, how you know, do you they, cope with that though? How well, do you, a, as I an addict, tool, I have a toolbox. I have a okay. toolbox full of tools that I use on a daily basis, right? I know that I can never have another drink. I know I can't do another drug, right? I know that. Yeah. And so I choose every day because, <clears throat> you know, what is recovery? Well, recovery is trying to live in the moment, in the present, as much as I possibly can. Nobody does it perfect. You know, maybe the Dalai Lama. But other than that, you know, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, And they say, if you think about depression or if you think about the past, that's depression. And if you think about the future, that's anxiety. So the goal is to try to be present as much as we possibly can. And the times that I am the most present are times like now, because I'm speaking to you, speaking to you. And I'm focused on you. I'm focused on this interview and I'm not thinking about COVID-19 right now. Yeah. And I think that that's why I started the show is because I was up in Northern Alberta when I started it and it was a really lonesome place. Like you are an ice, you are an isolation. I lived in between Slave Lake and High Prairie. It was isolation central up there. So this was a way for me to communicate to people and 
then last year I got bad news or earlier this year I got bad news and I've continued doing it and conversations like this bring me to that center place like you said right so that is my toolbox as well to center myself but everyone doesn't have that toolbox right they don't because I can tell you when I was at the height of my addiction nothing I didn't care about anything I just needed that next fix I needed that next drug so how do we help those people who don't want help Ooh. That's a, that's a tough one because you can't help somebody that doesn't want help. Right. Yeah. And that's the most common uh, email or private message I get. I have a son, I have a daughter, I have a granddaughter, I have a niece, I have a nephew who's going down about a wrong path. And so I text them back or email them back. You know, does that person actually want help? Because if they don't want help, I, I can't help them. Yeah. Right. But what addicts and alcoholics are really good at is we're great at collecting enablers. Because the more enablers we have, the longer the behavior can last. Right. Because we know that no matter what type of behavior we have, when we crash and burn, they're always going to be there. But, but eventually we make the enablers sick because of our behavior. And then they have to go look after themselves. And so then we're left to our own defenses. And usually when we're left to our own defenses, we hit the proverbial rock bottom. And we decide either to get help or we die. And that's the sad truth about it is, is addicts will go to that point, right? They will get to that point. You talk about it openly. You've talked about it in interviews. You've talked about it in your book. (laughs) You had that gun in your mouth. Yeah. But it wasn't because I wanted to die. I just wanted to get rid of this fucking pain that I experienced since, you know, a young child. Right. And, you know, I didn't have hockey anymore. I didn't have my coping mechanism, one of my coping mechanisms. Right. You know, and, but I had to go there because I really had to uh, believe that I actually wanted to live, right? And when I couldn't pull the trigger, I realized, wow, okay, well, I can't die. So I better, I better figure this out, right? I better learn how to live life on life's terms. And then, and then, you know, I got sober, you know, worked through the steps, And then, you know, uh, realized about five years into sobriety that, you know, this program is all about spirituality. And so I've been on a spiritual journey ever since, you know, trying to become more enlightened, more calm, because the spiritual piece, I believe, is the only thing that'll get you to peace, joy, happiness and serenity. Because when I'm connected 
spiritually, I'm never alone. And you've talked about your spirituality as well, because uh, spirituality to everyone can mean so much different things. Uh, For you, what is spirituality? What is that guiding force for you? It's relationship. Is it? Spirituality is relationship. When it comes, when you come, when it, you know, because I I don't subscribe to the white bearded guy in the sky. Right. But I do get relationship. Okay. And the one relationship I neglected the most in all of this was the relationship I had with myself. I didn't have a relationship with myself. I didn't love myself, didn't take care of myself, didn't sleep well, didn't eat properly, you know, all these things. And so I had to take a look, right? Because I have to live inside of this, you know, this vessel, which was provided to me, right? Because when I die, my body dies, but my spirit doesn't, right? Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, I had to, I had to reprogram and rewire all of these traumatic experiences, which left me with a certain belief, right? Those four things I talked about and I had to rewire those things in my brain. Uh, Addiction can stem from a lot of things. For you, it was trauma. You've Mm -hmm. talked openly about how, There was a traumatic upbringing in your household, which led to chaos and chaos led to your addiction. Um, Do you believe, and this might be a question you might not be able to answer, but do you believe the majority of addiction stems from trauma? Yeah. Really? 100%. How so? Well. So negative things will affect an addiction is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, how, how do you like, there's certain, there's certain mental illnesses like schizophrenia and, and bipolar disorder and personality disorder, you know, these kind of things that, that need a little more extra attention. But I would say the majority of the world suffers from emotional pain. Okay. And, um, yeah, when you're looking at my story, you're going to, you're going to get confused about trauma. You're going to get confused about trauma because mine is, you know, exponentially a little more than most people. Right. But here's the thing about emotional pain is my emotional pain and your emotional pain are not different. It's the same. Emotional pain is emotional pain. And we feel okay. emotional pain equally, right? And, you know, if you're bullied in school, that's trauma. If your parents divorced, that's trauma. You know, like trauma is subtle. It's very subtle. It's not like, um, you know, I think we need to find another word for trauma because trauma sort of induces a, you know, uh, the thought that I needed something really extreme, you know, to happen, you know, somebody dies that's close to you. That's trauma. If you develop cancer, that's trauma, you know? So there's all, 
different things. And I, I did a TED talk in Vancouver and, uh, you know, I basically just qualified everybody in the audience by saying, if you have parents, you've experienced trauma in your life. Not because they were trying to inflict trauma on you. They were doing the best they could with what they had. And if they knew better, they would do better. Right. You know, and ultimately all of us are doing the best we can with what we have. Okay. Until somebody steps in and helps us, you know, and brings out that piece that we've sort of kept hidden in our psyche and in our body because trauma gets stored in the body. Right. You know, and the most effective way of releasing is by using your voice. Right. And, you know, the big, the big thing is, you know, bell, let's talk, you know, Every, every, every um, advocacy group talks about, you got to talk about it. Well, what the fuck are we talking about? Yeah. Right. Well, we're talking about trauma. That's, that's what we're talking about. You know, being in emotional pain all the time is trauma. Right. Yeah. And you know, when we're, when we're under stress, which we're under a tremendous amount of stress because we don't know what the future is going to look like, which is anxiety. Yeah. Right. Anxiety. Cause we don't know. <laughs> and when we're in that stressful environment, what, what, what chemical do you think our body produces? Cortisol. And cortisol is like acid for our body. And where does cancer love to live? In an acidic environment. Right? Yeah. Uh, You've literally hit on like three things that I'm going through right now. And it's like kicking my ass right now. So. Right. Right. (laughs) So. So you want to talk about tools, meditation, meditate, meditation rewires the brain scientifically proven studies that meditation rewires the brain. Yoga, breathing exercises, exercise, eat well, sleep well, you know, sleep is probably the most important thing. Because the brain only repairs itself when we're sleeping. That's the only time it's sort of offline, right? It's like you get the geek squad to come to your house and, you know, clear out all the shit out of your computer. That's what happens when you're sleeping is the, your brain, you know, starts to put shit in files and, you know, all this stuff. And so, you know, sleep is incredibly important. How many people aren't sleeping right now? That's the most common thing I hear is I can't fucking sleep because we're so turned on because we're so afraid. We're so scared. So that brings up a good question, though. People, like you said, people are having a hard time sleeping right now. For addicts, 
you can't go to the traditional, I'm going to go get drugs to go help me sleep. Yeah. Because that's my issue. Yet again, I, I'm, there's some sleep issues right now, but you yeah, can't I'm, go and I'm get having, a, I'm having the worst time ever. Like, yeah. I don't go to sleep till like three o'clock in the morning. And I sleep till maybe eight, nine o'clock. So I'm only getting five hours of sleep. So I'm not getting quality rest because my brain is so turned on because I'm so fucking afraid of what the, what, what, what's the world going to look like when this is all over. And that's my issue is, so how do addicts effectively get good sleep when they don't want to be rely, uh, reliant on so many potential hard drugs or coping mechanisms like <laughs> sleep aids, coffee, yeah. because caffeine can be an addiction as well. How do we how do we properly sleep? Because that is the biggest challenge that I, I believe I would I would imagine every addict goes through every day when they're trying to get those yeah. eight to nine hours of sleep every night. Right. Well, you know. You know, when we go to a doctor and say, hey, man, I'm not sleeping. What does he do? Writes you a script for Ativan, right? Or yep. whatever it is. Well, for me, that's that's a slippery slope, right? That's a slippery slope. So um, what I realized is that there are lots of holistic practices, which, you know, can help me significantly as much as, you know, giving me sort of a synthetic version of, you know, melatonin, right? Because that's ultimately what happens is, is we can't produce enough melatonin to actually get us to sleep because we're so jacked up and cortisol is fucking eating away at every little aspect of our, you know, inner inner chemistry so we gotta we gotta calm that down and what what i understand is that uh, when we produce oxytocin that shuts off cortisol production right and i'm very blessed to be in a relationship with somebody who helps you know turn off the cortisol and you know fire up the, the oxytocin I have a couple of dogs who help me, you know, with, with my oxytocin production. So, um, you know, there's, you know, we, we live in such a great world of technology that there are lots of really uh, amazing apps, you know, like Calm, the tapping solution. Uh, you know, if you go on, on YouTube and you punch in meditation, there's like a million meditations on YouTube. Right. And it actually, you can actually even, even dial in to, you know, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I feel lonely. Like there's a meditation for absolutely every fucking thing that's going on with us. Right. And if you just throw the headphones on, what it allows is it allows the nervous system to calm down. That's why most meditations, you know, that you have that really nice, calm voice. And your music, yeah. Yeah, and music and all that stuff, right? So, you know, that, you know, that works for me. Um, 
and uh, you know the the best thing you can do with any type of mental illness is you got to move. You got to move. Like when COVID hit ten months ago or eight months, nine nine months ago, I was traveling once a week, speaking, helping people, you know, I had purpose and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it was over. So I ended up in bed for a month and a half, fell into a ugly, deep, dark depression. Like I could barely get to the washroom. That's how uh, depressed I was. But it was an amazing exercise because as an athlete, I'm hardwired to win. Okay. So I always thought that I could beat my mental illness. Well, I I can't. And what happened was I accepted the fact that there are going to be times in my life where I'm not going to be able to get out of bed for a month. And I accepted my mental illness. I accepted it. So and, that since I, and since I accepted it, what's that? That just and, happened like this year. Yep. Yep. 15 years sober, uh, 3,000 hours of therapy. Boom. Here I am. Deb- debilitated. Can't fucking function. Don't want to talk to anybody fucking just, blah. you know, thinking about suicide, you know, all this shit. And I accepted it for the first time in my life. I accepted this is the way that I made up. And ever since that happened, I've been good. I've been good because I haven't allowed myself to go to that next level of fucking self-loathing and fucking pity and all this shit. That's part of my childhood. Yeah. Right. You know, and you know, I've made a point now where I call it, find your five. Okay. Find your five, five, find, find five people and stay in constant contact with them every day. No matter how you're feeling. Yeah. Right. Because you have to tell on yourself. You have to tell on yourself. Well, I'm sad. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I'm irritated. I'm right. And and I just, and most, most of my friends know that the reason why I'm calling them or reaching out to them is because I need to vent. I don't need an antidote. I don't need advice. I just need somebody to listen that has compassion, that has empathy, right? Because those are the things that are going to rewire my brain, right? Yeah. When you're present and attuned and listening to somebody's confession, you're actually helping them rewire their brain. It's that simple. I want to talk about that for a second, if you don't mind, because we, we, we mentioned it a 
briefly at the beginning of the episode, the interview, it's hard to reach out. It's hard to reach out to that first day when you say, okay, enough's enough. I need to fix this fucking thing. I need to get better. What would you recommend to people who are trying that, who are getting to that cusp of, I need to change. I need to fix this mental issue that's going on in my head, my depression, my addiction. What would you recommend to them being that first step? Well, for me, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And my way was not working. You know, (laughs) it it wasn't working. Right. So, and, and what I hadn't tried yet was honesty, which is vulnerability. Right. And, you know, the reason why my book first book was so successful was I told my story pretty honest. Yeah. And pretty open and pretty vulnerable. Okay. And what happened is it inspired a whole bunch of people to do the exact same thing that I did. Okay. And the most common thing was on the book tour. And now that I'm speaking is, you know, between five and 20 people at whatever event I'm at come up and say, Hey man, I read your book and, uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for telling my story. Me too. Me too. Right. And that's, And, and that's where I found my purpose in life was I said, you know, by me finding my own voice and me being able to talk about my own pain and suffering inspired other people to do the same thing. Right. Because when we stay silent, nothing's going to change. And the bad person wins. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that is. Right. You know, and and so it's like taking a leap of faith. You know what I mean? It's like I I took a leap of faith because I had no idea. I just wanted to fucking put all this shit on paper. Take one last look at it and put it in its rightful place. But the universe had a different plan for me. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, the surrender piece for me was huge, huge because I realized left to my own defenses left to me running my own life is the biggest fucking shit show on the planet is when I'm running my own life. And so September 18th, 2005, I hit my knees in a washroom and I said, I fucking can't do this anymore and I need help. And the day I asked for help was the day that I fucking saved my own life. Right? Yeah. And 
And I turned my will and my life over to the care of, you know, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Allah, Buddha, God, Jehovah, fucking a tree in your backyard, whatever the fuck it is. Right. And I said, don't give me any, don't give me any more trauma, but you're running the show. You guys are running the show. And ever since I did that, my life has changed exponentially day by day. Because I'm not in control. And I don't want to be in control because when I'm in control, it's fucking ugly. It's ugly when I'm in control. And so, and so, you know, not only do I have my five, but I hold myself to account. Right. I hold myself to account every day because ultimately that's what sobriety is. 24 hours at a time, one day at a time. That's what it is. Right. And there's going to be shit that comes up every day. And sometimes I don't have the tools to deal with it, which is fine, which is fine. As long as I don't use any of my old mechanisms, coping mechanisms to deal with what I'm feeling. Right. And, you know, the thing about emotions is, is you're going to have positive and you're going to have negative. We're wired that way. You know, that's our survival. That's our survival. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, before I let you go, I, I do have to ask you the question because you you, you talk, opened up about it and I want to talk about it a little bit mm-hmm. here before I do let you go because I know you have something else I believe at 11 o'clock, so I don't want to make yeah. sure you're there. Um, you talked about Me Too, people coming up to you and yeah. saying Me Too. You, yet it was around, people were talking about it, but people were coming out and saying that, Me Too, Me Too. We see the rise of a Me Too movement across the United States, across Canada. People coming up and saying, this person harassed me. This person sexually molested me. And the, yet again, Twitterverse, God bless them and all their negative yeah. and positive things <laughs> yeah. that they have. Yeah. There is a quick judgment of, we believe you, we don't believe you. Yeah. Yet again, we shouldn't believe everyone's story that they come forward with and what they say. Mm-hmm. But there are people on some sides that say, no, you shouldn't. This this person's not that way. This person would never do that. Right. How do you judge that? How do you judge the Me Too movement, the anti-Me Too movement of you're just coming out for your 15 minutes of fame? <laughs> wow, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> because I can imagine you went through that, right? Because oh, yeah. Before you sure. came out, you were like, should I, shouldn't I? Like, what am I going to do here? Oh. But people who are coming out, yet again, Trudeau, Trudeau had someone come out and say he grabbed her boob, I believe, a yep. journalist from Vancouver. Yet yep. again, people came out, oh, he's he's not that bad of a guy. Right. So how do you believe people in a world that doesn't want to believe in certain things because the cancel culture is only for the right and not for right. the left? Yeah. Well, I believe everybody's story because I know that uh, sexual abuse is one of the biggest epidemics on the planet, right? Uh, 
you know, sometimes I want to stand up and when I'm speaking and just say, you know what, stop fucking your kids. That's how prevalent it is. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, when I started on this journey, they said one in three girls and one in six boys before the age of 18 will have some sort of unwanted sexual experience. And I was like, holy shit, if that's like the stat, then this is fucking out of control. Well, what I've realized is that stat is very, very uh, um, uh, like it's not true. There's just as many boys as girls that get sexually molested. And then get this one. So what do you think the most successful business is on the planet? Um, I want to say lawyer, but probably not. Entertaining? Okay. Most people say Amazon. Oh, okay. business. I thought you meant yeah. like yeah. Yeah. Okay, Amazon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think Amazon made $87 billion last year, maybe. Well, the most successful business on the planet is child trafficking and human trafficking. It's a $150 billion industry. So you're telling me that I shouldn't believe when somebody comes up to me and tells me they've been sexually molested? And the state of California is passing laws for pedophiles, you know, uh, there's a, a young woman somewhere in Canada who had our prime minister as their teacher and they have a gag order on her. So it's huge, it's huge. And, you know, I often wonder why the universe put me in this position, Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, you know, all that, because I can handle the pressure. And, of course, I'm going to get plopped into the biggest epidemic on the planet and be this voice for everybody who doesn't have a voice, right? And so, um, you know, the... I support the Me Too movement, but you know what they did? They they forgot about us guys, men who've been sexually abused. So that's the only problem I have with that. I believe that everybody should have a place. Everybody should be able to have a voice um, when they're talking about this stuff, you know, because, you know, I work in the prison system and uh, I would say, 90% of my guys in the prison have all been sexually abused. And they tell me. And some of them have gone to the other spectrum and have become abusers themselves, you know? And so, um, and ultimately they taught me the two greatest lessons that I needed to learn. First one was compassion that everybody has a story. And secondly, forgiveness. They taught me how to forgive. 
And I realized that, you know, that the reason why things happen to us is so that it gets, you know, gets the message out there, right? You know, the universe has for years been telling us, you know, there are some fucking sick, fucking evil people out there. Okay. And if we don't talk about it, then it's going to get worse and worse. And here's what, this is where we're at, right? Is, you know, you know, I advocate for a lot of things, right? You obviously know that I'm very political. And the reason why I'm, I'm political is because I'm fucking tired of politicians abusing us. I'm tired of it. Yeah. Tired of it. And a lot of them, you know, don't have the fucking intelligence or compassion or empathy to be fucking leaders. You know, they're just in it for themselves. So, you know, I often get lots of, you know, negative responses. But I don't listen to the noise. You know, I know what abuse looks like. I know what abuse feels like. And this is, and it feels like abuse, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I made a promise to the universe a long time ago that, you know, I was not going to back down anymore, that I was going to make this um, front and center. And, you know, ab abuses emotionally, physically, spiritually. Those are the three kind of abuses, right? And so in healing, I got to heal my spirit, got to heal, heal my emotional, got to heal, heal my physical. That's the process of healing. That's the process of rewiring is those three things. Got to heal my spirit, got to heal, heal my emotional, and then I got to heal my physical. And most people that I know who've chosen that path have peace, joy, happiness, and serenity. To me, when I get into those places of serenity is fucking better than any fucking drug that I ever tried in my whole entire life. Right. But I can't do that on my own. I need to be talking. I need to feel safe. I need trust, you know, all of these things. And, you know, what's happened is, is, you know, I have a very, close group of people who I call my spiritual family that I lean on in those difficult times. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like, it's nuts out there. It's nuts. It is. It's nuts. And I feel because like it's all about power. Right. And what happens when you have power? corrupts you can fucking abuse people yep right yep. And that's exactly what's happening 
You know, um, these well, people, these people, like I would, I, I often say this, we have the most traumatized leadership in the history of our planet. All of these leaders have trauma, unresolved trauma. And their addiction is controlling and abusing people. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And so it takes patriots to stand up and say, you know what? Fuck you guys. You know? Because I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the left. I'm not afraid. They want me to be afraid, but I'm not afraid. I, 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 so I grew up in a liberal household. I was in Ontario. I moved out here. I saw the right. I, I started believing the right because you know what? Ontario has screwed over Alberta, right? Yeah. And the, the political arms of this country is so messed up that yet again, few hundred or 20 seats in downtown Toronto can affect what's happening out here. So yes, you need to have the courage to stand up and actually say enough is enough. We're not going to take it anymore. And we need a change. We need a systematic change in this country to say, you know what, it's time to start treating everyone equally and not putting one group of people over top of another. And that's my opinion. And I get people pissed off at me all the time for saying that, but you get death threats all the time. And I just think it's a badge of honor. Exactly. It's a big F you. Yeah. So. Well, here, here's, here's my sort of philosophy. So the United States of America, 250 years of democracy, Canada, 150 years of democracy. And all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. Democracy doesn't work anymore. So socialism, communism, globalism, you name it, has been tried 24 times in history. And guess what? It's failed every single time. It's failed. And 100 million people have died. Common sense. Common sense. Would you say capitalism has also failed us? Yes, absolutely. For sure. Because, you, because it's because not it's just produced, left and It's right. produced the Twitters, the Facebook guys, the, the Amazons, Amazon. Walmart, all these guys. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what, what is the solution politically then? I didn't even expect us to get into this, but if we want to go for it, let's do it for a few minutes. Well, it's somewhere in between, right? Yeah. You know, look at Denmark or Norway or whatever, right? They're socialist, but it's a different kind of socialism. Yeah. Ireland is even, you know, social. So. um, Do you find that the left and right is so far, like, so far separate now that we can't even talk to each other? Yes. Yes. And that's my my issue. but, But the biggest problem is media. The biggest problem is media. That's the biggest problem. Yeah. The biggest problem is because, you know, they're programming us 
they're programming us. And I don't know how, you know, you, I don't know, you know, like we need information, but what do you believe? Right. Because <laughs> there's so much misinformation out there. And that's why I like that. Like I told my friend the other day, I am so fucking far deep down in the fucking rabbit hole that I have no idea what's fucking right. And what's wrong. You know what I mean? And, but the thing is, you're not the only one. Yeah, I know. There are people out there to this day who are trying to figure out what the fuck is right and what the hell's wrong. Because yes, there's moral guidances of you don't kill people, yes. but also there's moral guidance that says, okay, you let every vote get counted right. and then you declare a winner. You don't declare mm -hmm. a winner because a projection of something that potentially could happen without actually counting all the ballots is going to happen. So I agree with you. Yeah. The media is well, so and, and and what about what about the rule of law? There has to be laws to hold this to hold this to account. There can't be two different set of laws oh, for rights and lefts. Exactly. You see down, down the stage right now, the celebrations of COVID of Biden being president elect. Yeah. Where's COVID-19? Donald Trump was right. COVID-19 is going to end the day after my elect after the election. Yeah. Yeah. He was fucking right. Pardon my oh, friend. Yeah. I know. And yeah, again, not a big fan of his, <clears throat> but he was right on some things in this last few years. Oh. <laughs> Just look, just look in Calgary. They're defunding the police. In what fucking world is that like make sense? Yeah. In what world does that make sense? Couldn't agree more. Well, <laughs> I, my, my counselor stepped down, so I don't even have a counselor in my area right now. <laughs> so we didn't even get a vote on that issue. Yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. It's un I, that's no that though like those kind of values. Are, are not in me. Yeah. You know? And. But would you agree that there's racism within our society? Uh, I would the say. The reason I. I would ahead. say there is racism, but not as much as they are trying to make us believe. Yes. Because that is what divides us. And the left Every opportunity they get to divide us, they take full advantage of it. Why? Because it creates what? Chaos. And Which confusion. helps them win. Chaos and confusion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I know because I'm a chaos causer. I like chaos. I like drama. But I know that that's, that's the piece of me that's that still needs a lot of healing. Right? You know, yeah. Uh, like, and, and, and ultimately we need a lot of healing. We do. Like this is 2020 years of systemic trauma. Okay. Cain killed Abel in the Bible. Adam and Eve took and ate the fruit trauma that's where it started yeah. and so now we have 2000 years of trauma 
and it's all coming to a head like a big fucking zit. And I and don't. We can go. We can go either way. Like I, we're it, at the precipice where it could go either way. And I don't see which way it's going. And I don't nope. think anyone does because nope. that's what scares everyone is they're trying to get it to go their way, but it's not happening. It's dividing us as a people. And we need to be grownups in this world to sit yeah. down and just hash it out and say, you know what? This isn't working for your side. This isn't working for my side. Let's try to come up with a compromise that's going to work for everyone and not be so down our throats every single day. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's, you know, this, this the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Well, here it is. Yeah. You know, it's like, so, but what, what can I control? I can control this. Yeah. Right. The only thing I can control is, is, you know, my basic little life, you know, like, I, I don't want anything more than what I have right now. I just want to be able to maintain what I have right now. And I don't think like I'm scared that, yeah. that I can't maintain this. Well, I think everyone's scared. I think it's not just a you or me issue. It's yeah. it's everyone because yeah. I talked to my father and he says he's scared. He doesn't know what's going to happen because there's so much unknown in this world right now. And so much chaos, like you said, that who knows what could happen tomorrow? Yeah. Who, who knows what's going to happen a week from now? Who's, who knows what after this call's done? Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. So, like I said, you can only control what you're doing right here, right now. And that's, I just hope people grow up and actually have a conversation with people and stop fighting. Yeah. But it's not going to happen. No. Well, not not in the not in the moment, but no. You know, I, I think I think that. Eventually, you know, somebody with a brain will step in and, you know, make this better, right? Well, their heads will prevail, they say. Yeah, yeah. Theo, yeah. I want to thank you so much for this. This has yeah. the, this last, like, 20 minutes has been, like, great because I didn't expect it to go this way, but it did. And I'm so happy it did because that's the great thing about conversations. You never know what's going to happen. So yeah. thank you so much for doing this. Well, and it, it tells other people that, you know, that you're allowed to have your opinion, your own opinion. You're allowed to have your own beliefs, you know, as long as you don't hurt anybody. Yeah. Right. You know, and because when you hurt somebody, you know, eventually you got to apologize to them because that shit's going to eat your lunch. You know, that's why in 12 step, there's step eight and nine make amends and then Hardest step part, 10 yeah. and then step 10 is doing it every day. Right. But that's fucking huge awareness. Right. You know, which, which a lot of us don't have because we were never taught that stuff. Right. So. And kids today aren't taught that either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, but you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, that you, you get better, you know, I, uh, I have a lot of compassion for mental illness, you know, because I have my own struggles and it's fucking ugly. Yeah. It's not fun. No, I, but, uh, but I, but I, 
but I have a will to live and that's all that matters, right? You know, my will to live is greater than any pain or, you know, whatever. And so, you know, and helping is healing. The more people I've helped, the more I've healed myself. That's the basics of all of this, right? Is, you know, I put myself out there 15 years ago and basically said, you know what, I'm going to help as many people as I can. And by doing that, you know, I've helped myself heal because um, we have these things in our brain called mirror neurons. In your eyes, I see myself as, and when I'm working with people, shit comes up for me that, that I haven't dealt with. Right. And, and we can help each other together work on that one piece because there's layers, right? There's lots of layers. And, you know, that's why I always say I'm in therapy for the rest of my life and I'm okay with that. Right. I'm okay with that, you know, because every time I step into a therapeutic process, I get better. Go figure. (laughs) Right. You know, and everybody's so afraid of, you know, talking about themselves because they have, I'm not good enough and I'm not lovable. We're all fucking good enough. We're all lovable. Someone loves you out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So stick with those people and fuck the rest of them. (laughs) Right. Yep. Yep. Couldn't, couldn't have put it more eloquently (laughs) myself. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's amazing how many people come up to me all the time and say, I fucking hated you as a player. And I'm like, I didn't play the game to be liked. The game because I enjoyed it. And and the greatest compliment you can get is fucking I hated you. Because that means I was doing my job. Right. And because I had lots of fucking winning experiences because I fucking played to win. That was my job. My job as an NHL player when I sign that contract is I am paid to win. Yeah. Not play, not paid to get. Not to be fucking mediocre and easy to play against. Right. You know, I look, I look at, I look at the NHL now. There's so many guys that are so easy to play against. They're just out there, you know, Dipsy doing, stick handling, you know, but at the end of their career, they're not going to ever have a winning experience because they're easy to play against. So I'll ask you one last question. Actually, this is this to make it to leave on a positive note. Let's put it that way. Calgary Flames 2021 season. What are we expecting from them? Anything good or do we think it's a rebuild year? Well, Here's the biggest issue since 1989 and the the cup run they had in 2005 is that when you have the inability to defend, you're not going to win anything. And until Calgary Flames skilled players as a whole, and I'll tell you a little story after I'm done this. Okay. Until those guys are committed to playing without the puck, they're never going to win. Yeah. 
the Toronto Maple Leafs until Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Willie Nylander and all those guys decide that they're going to defend, they're never going to win. Okay. So when Scotty Bowman got hired by the Detroit Red Wings, he called Stevie Eiserman up and said, Stevie, I don't need you to get 150 points anymore. I need you to get 80 points and be our best defensive player on the team. And what happened? Steve Eisenman won three Stanley Cups. Yeah. Because he got 80 points a year and he, he won three Stanley Cups. Because there's way more to the game than just putting the puck in the net. And until the Flames decide that they're going to defend, right? You know, because you look at the last few playoff series, who's been their best player? The goalie. Yeah. Because he's had to be. Because he's had to be. And they just got rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mike Smith was unbelievable in that playoff series. He can't. And even, even that heroic performance didn't get them through. So what does that tell you? They're giving up way too many quality scoring opportunities. You know, you look at the, you look at that game against Dallas this year, they're up three, nothing. And then they got lazy. They started turning pucks over, you know, what they always do, what they always do. And once the momentum shifts in the playoffs, there's fuck all you can do to get it back. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, exactly what happened. My like our, t- our team in 89, we're up a goal heading into the third period. It's over. It's over. The game is over. Because you played the same way in the first game, period as you do in the third. No, because we knew we did. We had enough goals to win. All we got to do is defend. Play smart. Don't yeah. turn pucks over. Get pucks in deep. Make them come 200 feet. Right? You know, that's that's a mentality, right? And if you and if you and if you did turn the puck over, you weren't seeing the ice again. <laughs> yeah. You're sitting on the end of the bench with your pom poms, right? Yeah. So, I, I talent wise, they've improved the quality of their talent exponentially. But their talent has to decide, are we going to defend? And if they decide that they're going to defend, they're going to win. You know, The last two years, the two heaviest, most skilled teams have been in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. Dallas is heavy. Tampa's heavy. They play fast, but they play hard. You know, St. Louis and Boston. You know? So Hey, I, yet again, I'm not a Calgary Flames fan. I apologize. Uh, you, you must see that I'm wearing a Ducks jersey right now. So my, my Ducks will never be back in the Stanley Cup Finals for a long time. So yeah, I but know. Look at, look at, they had a run of what? 
12, 15 years. Yeah, but then yeah. they got then they got complacent and they said, "Oh, we're going to get it this year." So what's the point? Then they gave up. They stopped defending. Well, but, but they they all their big big money guys got old. Yeah, and they're not. And they can't. Then they can't. Yet. You can't get rid of them, and you can't replace them. So you got to start, you know, building through the draft. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross-Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown & Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross-Border Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Whoa!